This podcast covers all things health, your body, your brain, and your well-being. Each week, we'll be joined by doctors, as well as the occasional guest, to talk about the health topics that mean the most to you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, and depending on how this goes, we may end up doing it the first two weeks. I don't know, but we'll definitely do it today. So I'm just going to get cut right to the chase here. Uh, this seems to be a stress-related group of questions. So is there a link between long-term stress of about five years and hyperthyroidism slash Graves' disease? I'll tell you what, I'll just read these and, I'll, and you answer them, and I'll keep my stuff out of this. No, I think we should chime back and forth, but... Uh, with Graves' disease, the literature does state that stress can precipitate the condition. Some people dispute that in the literature, but overall it's pretty well accepted that stress does cause Graves' disease. Stress is not as much identified as a trigger for Hashimoto's yet, but we're anticipating that that's going to change because we hear it all the time where a person goes through a major stressor and then they develop Hashimoto's. So just re- realize this is an evolving situation. We don't have all the answers even here in 2018. Things are changing all the time. But uh, I just read an article this morning from 2018 and they were talking about stress as it pertains to hyperthyroidism. So, yes. Without a doubt. <laughs> <laughs> Without a doubt. So uh, next couple, next two I can kind of put together. How is this chronic stress response turned off? And the next question is, how does one stop the fight-flight response? And those are two, one and the same question. So, uh, and, and, and if there were a simple answer to that, we probably wouldn't be sitting here doing these videos. Very true. So. And, and, and half of America probably wouldn't be taking anti-anxiety medications and antidepressants and benzodiazepines and, and on mm-hmm. and on and on. The, the, the number one, two, and three drugs in America. But go ahead. So, and this, we're doing this because I think a lot of you want to know what that quick solution is because you've been conditioned in today's internet marketing world that there is a, a quick solution for everything. There's a leaky gut solution. There's a stress solution. And frankly, that we have not found those to work with the complexity of cases coming into us. So certainly you could go and try to meditate. You can try to do stress relaxation techniques. We're not knocking any of those. But the patients that come to us have been in these chronic states of fight or flight, history of childhood trauma, chronic stress, where there's a hyperactivation component to the amygdala. The amygdala is the fear center in the brain. The problem is, is that the fear center can actually grow and take over other neurological real estate in the brain. It's like me growing and saying, well, this is mine now. Well, that's Dr. Rutherford's. But that's what the amygdala does. And it grows into the memory area. And when it does this, it has a tendency to produce high levels of cortisol. The high levels of cortisol then feed back and damage frontal lobe neurons and neurons, brain cells, in your memory area. So now you have this situation where the two areas that are trying to keep this amygdala in check um, are being damaged, and so they lose the war. And so when people are asking, well, what can I do to reduce stress? 
hopefully by understanding that you can realize that you've lost the brake pedal mechanism for your stress. Now, you may think, well, why can't I just exercise my frontal lobe? You can, but what we do is we do a very sophisticated neurological exam, eye movement exam. These eye movements, there's thousands of research articles behind each eye movement test that we do to figure out exactly what part of your frontal lobe is not working. Or we had, you know, it's just a case recently where the gentleman's frontal lobes were actually pretty good, but he had a different situation relating to genetics, and we've talked about this recently, and how stress hormones are not broken down or other situations where uh, somebody's doing things in their lifestyle that are precipitating these stress responses and they don't even know it. Uh, so there are a lot of complexities and then we go and we give neurological exercises for the part of the brain that's not working, but maybe that's not the right thing because maybe it's too overstimulating for them. So you have to back off and you have to work on a part of the brain, let's say the cerebellum that talks to that frontal lobe, for example. So it's fairly complicated in what we do. Maybe if you have the ultimate stress solution, then be our guest. But we've had doctors call from all over the world to try to understand how to do this because a lot of these stress relaxation techniques that are highly publicized that maybe you have read about um, take an hour and a half a day, two hours a day, and a lot of people don't have the fortitude or the time to do that. To bring a practical aspect to this, okay, the person who comes in here uh, the person who calls us, the person who sees this video, and a, a lot of people see videos and calls for help, um, they've tried all that stuff. All right? There were at a point in time where people who come to us, they've already tried meditation, they've tried relaxation, they've tried Tai Chi, they've tried yoga. They've even tried, they're even on antidepressants, anti, you know, that which, which work by damaging, frankly, neuron function in your brain so that you can't perceive or that you can't experience this. Or neurochemicals damages, alters neurochemicals, alters serotonin levels and stuff like that. The, the chemical that'll calm you down and all that type of stuff and make you happy. So, so there's a higher level of stress and, and in what Dr. Gates is saying also is that that fear center of the brain, that amygdala, it literally gets like programmed. It's like something happens, whether it's an emotional trauma of some sort of physical, verbal, sexual abuse, or alcoholic parents, or you're an alcoholic, or it's severe divorce, or you're, maybe you're a perfectionist, maybe you're tired, whatever it is, if you're asking that question, you're probably at that higher level. And what Dr. Gates is saying is, is, is once that brain turns on, there's a lot of factors involved. There can be autoimmunity involved. There can be stress hormones involved. There can be uh, bad gut issues. There can be enzymes that aren't working to to be able to dampen that. Yeah, how would you even know that? Okay, well, I, maybe I can look it up on the internet. I hear this all the time. I don't mean to say it like that, but, but good luck with that, knowing what to do with that, because that's very complicated. It took a long time to figure it out. There's, uh, there's uh, the, the, most people understand the MTFHR gene. There's so many things. It's not just, it's not. Mm -hmm. So it's, it, once you reach that level where that, where that amygdala is like the on button is on, Turn it off is no small feat. We had a doctor here last week, and I've already gotten two emails from him. He spent two days here. This is a guy who's been in practice for a long time. He's a very accomplished functional medicine practitioner, wants to learn the brain aspect of it, was here for two days. I just got an email from him last night because he has a patient coming in, and they have this chronic fight-flight response, and he wants to know if I could just give him one or two exercises to help that person. But the answer is no. The answer is, is we're going to have to work with him and, 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 and help him to, to learn it. So, um, so it's just hard. 
once you get to a certain level. When you talk to your neighbor and they go, oh, I do meditation and it just keeps me calm. I do yoga and I come out of it feeling so zen. I do. Those people do not have a chronic fight-flight response going on. They have stress. They, they can use adaptocrines, herbs, and botanicals that will modulate that system, and it will work. The person who asked this question can use herbs and botanicals, and it's like peeing on a forest fire. So, you know, it's just a very practical aspect of it. There's the different degrees of stress, and if you're asking these questions, you're probably in that high-end degree that's being caused by this chronic fight-flight response, which, by the way, is not you. It's your brain that just won't shut off. It's not that you're stressed. It's not that you can't handle stress. It's that your brain won't shut off, and you need something to shut off the brain. This profession, the functional neurologists, are the only guys I know of who've ever figured out how to do it without drugs, and sometimes even without herbs or botanicals and stuff mm-hmm. like that. In fact, a lot of the time, maybe half the time. And sometimes we co-manage. I mean, we hit those situations yes. where there's been horrible trauma in childhood. We refer to a psychiatrist, functional a psychologist, <laughs> as well as a yeah. hypnotherapist. Yeah. We look at it as a case-by-case uh, type of deal. And we also are very selective in the supplementation that we use because a lot of people out there are just trying to throw tons of supplements at you for sleep, for anxiety, for mood. And there's a way that we have found that you can build a person back up without using a ton of supplements. So, Yeah, so it's, it's just not an easy thing. It's just not a here's the answer thing. We're not like trying to stop you from doing this on your own. Trust me. We have tons of people that write us that have done a lot of stuff on their own from things that we've had that we've set on these things and they're 50% better, 70% better. And in the end, you know, that's them. That's not the person who asked this question. So, okay. So I know everyone's different. <laughs> there you go. It's hard to generalize. You gave more information on how to reduce stress and heal the gut. Not just that there's research that shows it's problem. N- now need to know how to avoid it. Mm. Is that the same answer? It's pretty much the same answer, I'd say. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's, it's similar, you know. Uh, is there any chance that a chronic stress state could lead to gastroparesis? I will say I've seen it. Uh, commonly, that's not what's talked about in the literature as it pertains to gastroparesis or the internal medicine texts. But I have seen stress be a major factor for gastroparesis. So that's what I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd say yes. <laughs> <laughs> He's a little bit more... <laughs> He's a little bit more specific. Uh, what's your thought on stress and MS? Stress can be a, a trigger for MS. It can be an a, exacerbating factor or a flare or cause of a flare. We've seen that in our clinical practice. Um, so, yeah, that's what I would say relative to stress. I've definitely seen that be a flare. Yeah, it doesn't cause MS, but right. it can compromise you so that you can become more susceptible to developing uh, an autoimmune problem in general. That goes for MS and autoimmunity across the board. If a person, uh, you know, come in, our gentleman came in yesterday and he was all over this mold deal, and you know, you can you can ha- you can be affected by mold, but only if you're already a compromised host. You already got autoimmunity. You're already in fight flight. You're already flooding your system with stress hormones, altering immune function. Then yes. So yeah, stress. And most people who come in here who have yeah. MS know that when they get stressed. It, it, they may not feel it, as well. Yeah. They may not feel as well, or they may they may actually get uh, go to ne- another level mm-hmm. of being worse. Yeah, colds are another thing for MS patients. There's also evidence, I believe, that stress can change gut bugs! Exclamation mark. Yeah. Well, the whole thing with the gut now, as we talked about in our irritable bowel syndrome, or is it irritable brain syndrome? Broadcast is how 
the stress response through what is now referred to as the emotional motor system to the gut. Uh, basically changes tone in the gut, changes peristalsis. So now if you're more of a fight flight state, as we've talked about before, are you gonna think about having a bowel movement when you're running from a lion? Hopefully not. Um, you're not gonna have time to sit down and do that. Well, your body is preparing you like that when you're in this chronic state of stress. So frequently uh, patients come in who have kind of constipation tendencies. Well, when your motility slows down, gut bugs can shift. You can shift more towards an overgrowth of bacteria. So absolutely stress can affect your, micro, your microbiome and as a result, your metabolomics, the production of different short chain fatty acids from the bacteria. And the next one I think we've kind of answered already, but what about childhood trauma? Uh, not abuse, but trauma such as alcoholic parent or sudden death of a parent. Is that too considered enough of a stressor to create the basis for a central pain syndrome later in life? Answer is For yes. central pain syndrome, yeah. So uh, now in the literature, you know, the big awareness came on about abuse. Well, researchers are now referring to it as abuse and adverse early life circumstances. So under adverse early life circumstances, we have the alcoholic parents and things like that that you're mentioning because that has been associated with chronic pain syndromes. So, yeah. And the next one I think we've answered uh, obliquely again. So how do I calm down that brainstem affected by childhood stress? And it goes back to the same answer of... How is this chronic stress response turned off? Well, you know, it, it, I, I'll walk through this with a patient when I'm evaluating them so that they understand why they're sitting in this position. And they might understand. A lot, some people will be sitting there saying, I'm not stressed. And my life's great. And my marriage is good. But, it, but uh, in order to bring them back, to help them understand why they're like that, we'll talk about the childhood trauma. We'll talk about those things. But in the end, once you're sitting in front of us, it really doesn't matter what caused it almost. It's, it, most of the time. If you're going through it right then and there, it matters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if you're not, but if it was before, really, it, almost, it just matters that it's there and that your brain won't shut down and that, and that it's creating abnormal physiological and chemical effects literally in every system and cell in your body and that that has to be shut down if anything else is going to work or if you want a long-term success. So, mm-hmm. yeah? Mm-hmm. Okay, so... Uh, so do you have a video explaining how to calm down the stress response? I guess the closest thing we have to that is our... and that's not going to do it for most of our patients in and of itself and the lower brainstem question i think a lot of that came from dr karazi and talking about the brain as it pertains to autoimmune issues and so he's recommending people doing uh like the gargling gargling and and gagging exercise i think mainly gargling you know that's a great concept because the lower brainstem basically your medulla does shut off the fight flight response but it can be a lot more complicated than that for a lot of you Trust me, we did all that. And uh, you have to go super tentorial, so to speak. So you have to actually work with up here to fix this. Lots of times for the lower brainstem to work again. So. Again, that goes back to their gradients of this stuff. There are people who come in here who have chronic fight flow on a scale of one or two. That's not usually the patient who walks in our office. You'll have to remember. It's, we're, we're, talking, we're, talking, we're talking to the patient population out there who's tried everything, done everything. That's our, that's our patient population. We, we embrace them. That's the patient comes in here and I say, well, okay, we can handle your case. That's a pretty straightforward case in our office. And the pa- patient will go like, I've never heard that before. And, and that's, that's the serious patient who's up here who requires a little bit more specificity. There's a little bit more complexity. There's, a, there's more evaluation. It's, it was not an evasion. This is, this is, those other things work. 
in a, in, a, in a lesser level of severity. Can dementia in an older person actually be the outcome of ongoing stress reactions? If so, how can this be rectified? I'm not sure about the rectified thing because we just got done talking about that for the last 15 minutes. But, um, but most people think dementia is diabetes now, but stress hormones. There is uh, some evidence about stress hormones being a precipitating factor for depression. Uh, going back to the physiology, though, so what's happening with dementia? You're losing a lot of frontal lobe function. You're losing the memory area. Well, again, those are the two areas that keep that stress center in check. So as you lose them, there's more likely for that amygdala to escape, so where it gets overdominant. Um, so maybe that's more a result than a cause, but there is some data out there where they've talked about stress as a cause. I looked at that a few years back. Well, the stress hormones do have an affinity for the hippocampus. Yeah, cortisol damages the hippocampus. And the so. hippocampus is where your short-term memory is, and that's where Alzheimer's starts. So I would have to think that they're going to come out and say that stress my probably is. I think it is. I think it can be. I think it can be. I, I mean, I, I, my dad went total Alzheimer's. I mean, right. like at the end, for the last five years, he didn't know who I was. I would like come home, sit at the table, and look at my mother and go, who's this guy again? Who'd you say this guy was? That type of thing. This dude was stressed. Like majorly, majorly. Man, it was always my impression that that had something to do with it, mm -hmm. you know? And I know that's not very scientific. I mean, the guy was in World War II. He fought for Patton. He was fought in the Battle of the Bulge. He was like, he was like, and he was in the he was in the recession. Hard worker, minimum wage worker, two three jobs, that type of stuff. Always on the edge financially. Good guy, you know, would help anybody in the world. Super dude, want love kids, great, you know, that type of stuff. But man, he was like, he was never he was never not stressed for a minute of his life. Uh, it just it'd be interesting to see how that comes out in the no, future. Sure. And when you say it's not scientific, I would say. That's where all this research comes from. This research comes from researchers talking Observe. to clinicians and what observing. we're observing. Exactly. Just like neuropathy and fibromyalgia patients now and Hashimoto's and fibromyalgia. Yeah. All that's coming because we're seeing it yeah. as doctors. And the last one is so as the brain is strengthened and exercised, will the stress response and stress hormones automatically become regulated? Okay, that's a good question. Automatically become regulated. I would say not always, no. There, there's more components. More, there's more components. It's more complex. In the more complex cases. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, it's just, we're, it's becoming infinitely more complex. You know, we've talked about things that affect frontal lobe function from gut bacteria to uh, fat cells to hormones to thyroid hormones to autoimmune issues to genetics and when the whole genetic argument we were just thinking mthfr now that's completely exploded because now we're looking at comt how you break down stress hormones dopamine receptors slc46a or whatever it's called which is your serotonin specific reuptake inhibitor proteins all these different things are what i'm finding really affecting how we approach a, a brain-based case and yeah we have the neurological rehabilitation yeah we have stress relaxation yeah we refer when there's a history of trauma and it's not resolving there's a lot of components to it. So just by doing brain rehab doesn't fix stress hormones, in my experience, by itself. Well, and to give you a perspective, on, a quick perspective on that, the, the basic principles that we were using years and years ago when we started was the brain needs four things to work properly. It needs proper stimulation. And, and when you get loss of stimulation in an area, maybe because of stress hormones, maybe because you whacked your head 12 times and you got six concussions, you know, things of that nature that will alter the function of your brain's ability to fire 
emotional trauma, then you need to you need to stimulate the part of the brain that's not firing right and get it to, to fire right. That's what this question is about. But the initial four principles are also you need to get rid of what's called oxidative phosphorylation, better known as inflammation. So you need to get rid of that. How many things cause inflammation? Everything he just got done talking about. And high blood sugar, low blood sugar, high iron, low iron, gut problems. So you need to get the inflammation out of there. You need to get oxygen in there. You got anemia. You need oxygen in your brain for it to respond to the brain rehab exercises. You need to get rid of inflammation so it can respond to the brain rehab exercises. If you got COPD, if you got a thyroid problem that decreases blood supply to your, to your brain, you don't have enough oxygen air, it's not going to respond to the brain rehab exercise, or it's not going to respond very well, and you need blood sugar. I have low blood sugar. I have to eat every couple of hours. If I don't eat in two and a half hours, in the third hour, my brain goes like that, and I do my exercises every day, two to three times a day. So it's, it's, I think that may be the, the best last question to summarize a lot of the other questions, because for like, how do you turn off the stress response? Uh, question: How does one stop the fight flight? How do you get the brainstem under control? They it all you, you, need, you hit the first four principles, you know. And and what Dr. Gates is saying this is the understanding of those principles is expanding dramatically in the number of factors that there are. And this is why it's not going to be. The, forgive me, you know, the, you're not going to get Dr. Axe's vitamins, or you're not going to listen to Dr. Oz on television for the new miracle pill. And, and, and I certainly have a button on that because these people make our job, my job, particularly when you're coming in the door and telling me all this stuff, a lot harder. And, and, and these guys are just throwing content out at you all the time, and they're trying to throw supplements at you, and they're trying to throw products at you. And, and it makes our job a lot harder because it's not that simple. Okay, That's why not everybody's doing it. And so that is the answer to, I think, to a, a general blanket answer to almost virtually every question that we have here. And, but the cool part is, is the data's coming out, it can be done. Who knows how, how, how long it's going to take before this gets into the mainstream. But for those of you who believe that we're not you know, sharing everything with you, trust me, there's 650 hours online, we're sharing everything with you. It's just that you need somebody to put it together sometimes. And, 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 and sometimes you need to go find somebody who can help you to put it together. And, and so that's really what you're perceiving as the missing link or as us holding back on something. We're not holding back on anything. It's all there. Everything we know <laughs> is, on, is online. It's just that it, 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 it's not the same thing for everybody who walks in the door. So, Okay. So that is it for today. We're going to go to work. <laughs> and uh, uh, we'll see you next week with hopefully something interesting for you to, to, to listen. So this is important. You want to know how to get better. Now, there's going to be some nuggets in here that are going to help some of you. There's going to be some of you who are like, you know, throwing spitballs <laughs> at, your, at your screen going, wow, this guy's like an idiot. But I'm telling you, these are the basics of how to get better. And if you bypass these, plus the ones we're going to be talking about over the next week or two, you are going to have a hard time getting better at all. And if you get better, you're going to, have, you're going to be the person who has to keep doing it over and over and over again because there are things that are Sabbath. So wrap up this week's presentation. And, and um, I'm here to educate you. We're here to try to answer the questions that we've had over the last you know, six or seven years or eight years or whatever it's been. And, um, and so please do that. So until next week, uh, I hope you... Uh, if, you're, if you're enjoying this, then, then you know, please don't miss next week. 
next week is kind of a big, big deal in most people's uh, uh, journey to wellness. So, okay, that's it for this week. Thank you for watching again, and uh, take care. This will conclude the episode. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you hear, please leave a comment and subscribe. Thank you.